This is Fundraising Radio, and today's a guest speaker, we have Juliana Gereiser, Lounge Director at Greentown Labs, President at Business Angel Minority Association, member at Portfolio, and also the board member of Angel Capital Association. So Juliana has a ton of roles, and we'll talk about most of them in this episode. And we'll mainly focus on Angel Capital Association because uh, you might have heard my previous Angel Investor speakers referring to it as a great source of information on Angel Investing. So let's kick off with that. Uh, let's start with Angel Capital Association, Juliana, um, and with your background. Sounds good. Uh, the Angel Capital Association is the North American Trade Association for Angel Investors, Angel Investor Groups, and also early stage funds and investing platforms such as AngelList or Funder Club. So it's not only for the US, it's for Mexico and Canada. And together we have around 17,000 different angel, individual angels. So it's, it's really powerful. And uh, they dedicate themselves to first make sure that angel investing becomes an asset class. So. A lot of it has to do with education and also lobbying at government level. Uh, the second thing they do is a syndication. So we put together a lot of monthly syndication calls for groups of angel investing that are interested in specific sectors. So there's a life science syndication call, a clean tech and energy syndication call, an impact investing call, and also a women founders call. And uh, lately we're gonna do one that is also an international syndication call that I will be running. Uh, and last but not least, uh, everything uh, regarding data analytics. So uh, it's very important for us to have our members um, availability in terms of what the latest statistics regarding angel investing are. Uh, because we're growing a lot uh, as a new asset class. So we put together different reports uh, for that, such as the American Angel statistics. There's also a few reports on exit numbers. And now we're gonna do a specific reporting on how investment has changed related to COVID-19. That's really <clears throat> that's really great. And I would actually love to see that report working. I find all those reports. So the Angel Capital Association has a website angelcapitalassociation.org and there's uh, a data uh, you know that's uh, called the member resources and then uh, so if you are a member you can access those but then there's also uh, quite a lot of uh, resources that are publicly available so if you go into resources you will see both for members and non-members and there's plenty of statistics um, some of them as I mentioned for the ones of COVID we're still gathering the data so we will be actually um, showing, showcasing the results of our um, uh, study for COVID-19 at our full uh, summit for the ACA uh, that is gonna be uh, around October. We, we still need to finalize the date, but I think it's gonna be around end of October. Uh, and it's gonna be called Investing in a New World. Nice. And that sounds pretty accurate, actually. <laughs> nice. <Yes>. Nice naming. <laughs> but uh, just to make sure that I understand it correctly, Angel Capital Association is like a big glue that basically glues up all the angel groups together and just helps them, you know, uh, helps gathering data to educate all the angels, etc. Is it like that? Yeah, so I think uh, data is one of the things. Education is another one that is very important. Uh, you know, there's uh, 
a lot of angels who do this um, more like a, as an art uh, instead of a science. So we want to make right. sure that we provide frameworks so that they can do angel investing more efficiently and with better results. So we, we're really trying to professionalize angel investing. Uh, and I think since uh, we've been uh, an association at the beginning, everything was doing it in, on on the side with uh, uh, informal groups created. And uh, since we became an association, we've made sure that many of the angel groups uh, that were formed around the US and Mexico and North and Canada were also having a structure on how to run it more professionally and up the standards for governance and syndication with other groups. So I think that's been pretty, pretty uh, uh, important for, for us. And in terms of syndication, uh, we had um, a lot of our member groups that have started syndicating and we've put together rounds of up to 10 million. So in many cases, we have even bypassed the need for VC funding in, in some of the deals. Oh, nice. That's actually great. That's really impressive numbers. So um, let's talk about your role at Angel Capital Association as a board member. What, what did you do there? Yeah, so one of the reasons I was uh, asked to be a board member is because I was very involved in the event planning. So the ACA has several events a year. Uh, one of the biggest one is their summit that normally happens around May. So this year was the first one who had to become virtual, uh, but it, it was supposed to happen in Colorado. Next year, it's supposed to happen in Portland. But again, if that's no longer possible with COVID-19, we know already that uh, we could make it virtually because the summit was a, a success. And as I mentioned before, there's a second full event, uh, the, the full summit. Uh, that is also um, very, very important for angels. And in this case, it's going to happen virtually around October. So those are the two, uh, what we would call national and international summits. And then there's also regional summer, summits. So, you know, the um, Northeast region has a regional event. Uh, there's also a regional event for California. Uh, there's a regional event for Texas and the Angel Capital Association is always overlooking and organizing that. Uh, so I've been part of, of many of their organizing committees. I'm the vice chair for their fall summit. And also one of the things I've been very involved in is uh, the membership and marketing uh, task force that they have for the Angel Capital Association. So making sure that we have more uh, diverse memberships, so not only in terms of women, but also in terms of minorities and in terms of more international members. And um, also uh, to make sure that, you know, we have um, um, more international groups that can come to us to make sure that they get the latest in terms of best practices. A lot of international groups out there are looking at the ACA at, and at the U.S. investors for really the latest trends. And they're very interested in, in seeing what we do. So I'm, I'm one of the connectors to, to make that happen. So those are those are my roles within the ACA board. That's really <clears throat> sorry for losing my voice. Uh, that's really interesting. Um, I'm curious what's going on in those uh, not meetups, but conferences. So uh, is it primarily for angel investors or can actual founders attend as well and maybe learn something about, you know, how to attract angel investing? I mean, angel money or find some useful connections there. So who is it actually made for? 
So, Constantine, you make a very good point because I feel that a lot of angel investors come from the entrepreneurial world. So, uh, you know, there's a very fine line between entrepreneurs and, and angels. And uh, for many entrepreneurs, I think it's very good to also come to these events to understand what happens in the angel mind so that they can better frame their pitches and, and make sure they, they get the best. Uh, but also, in many cases, a lot of the entrepreneurs who, who came to these events uh, to pitch suddenly at some point, they become angels and, and they really think that the ACA is a great network to be a part of, not only because uh, some of them belong to angel groups that are already part of the ACA, but the ACA is also very good for other parts of the US and Mexico and Canada where maybe there's not enough density in terms of um, uh, creating an angel group, but you, know, mm -hmm. you can still be an individual member and still get a lot in terms of deal flow that maybe you might not be able to access if you were uh, with a group in your own region or, or you know, uh, tips on how to start creating your own angel group. So for entrepreneurs, in the case of the big summit that happens in May, there's a specific part of the summit called Innovation Showcase, where entrepreneurs can actually pitch. Um, so in the case when the, the event was not virtual, there was a, a big hall where the companies would actually exhibit their products. Uh, they will also have the opportunity to do a two-minute pitch to the bigger audience uh, in a plenary session. And then during all of the networking breaks, uh, all the audience will go to the showcase where, you know, the breakfast would happen, the happy hours, and they would be able to mingle and have one-on-one -on -one conversations with the companies. And also at the end of the summit, there will be an award ceremony where, you know, the companies would have three different awards. One would be the most investable company. Uh, the other one would be the best feature presentation. And the third one would be a prize that we call Venture Bucks. And basically at the beginning of the event, we would have every angel with fake money. And uh, then they can give those uh, Venture Bucks to different companies. And the ones who would gather the most bucks would have the Venture Bucks prize. And let me tell you, those prizes are very, very important for those companies because they give a lot of notoriety and visibility. And the ones uh, that got the prize last year uh, were able to fundraise around 1.7 million, at least the company that I brought in from, from my side. Nice. They, they, they got a, a lot of exposure and a lot of interest and they were able to pitch at least to six or seven different angel groups from the ACA. That's really that's really great. I mean, six angel groups that might sound not as cool as as it is in reality. Six angel groups. That's really impressive. So nice work there. Uh, I'm wondering, uh, by the way, are the uh, are there any slots still open for entrepreneurs to roll, to enroll or is it already filled up? So that happened in May. OK. And one of the things we because it was really, really successful and uh, you know, that's something the innovation showcase started around five years ago. At the beginning, the summits were only for angels and mm -hmm. mainly dedicated to education for angels and latest trends and syndication. And then our members said like, hey, you know, we love investing. So why don't we throw in some companies there? Mm -hmm. That's how the whole innovation showcase started. At first, it was only for the summit. And now because there was uh, a lot of success, we're thinking about incorporating also to the fall summit. So it's to be discussed uh, what we can do. Um, there was also an investors of color showcase that happened 
right before the uh, past uh, ACA summit that was very, very successful and led also to quite a few investments. We, we had together um, an SVV, an SPV, a special purpose mm -hmm. vehicle put together to invest in some of the innovation showcase companies for um, founders of color. So uh, I think we might have another one or at least uh, another pitching event coupled before or after the fall summit, we are still figuring out which one it will be, maybe something related to COVID-19. I think we will repeat again the founders of color one because it was very well attended and uh, we're still figuring it out, but I think there's a lot of um, interest and a lot of synergies for making sure that, um, you know, once the investors are um, congregating in such an event, there's, there's also a space for, for pitching for entrepreneurs. That's really great. And at what stage should companies try to enroll in those you know, showcases? Should it be like uh, pre-revenue or should it be post-revenue already and pre-product or product-product? So in general, the companies that have come to a showcase need to talk to the director of partnerships. Uh, so they, they need to try to contact uh, the ACA to have a discussion with them because they are the ones putting together the innovation showcase. It really helps when there's uh, an angel group that has already invested in them and is kind of championing them, you know, so that's mm -hmm. when they get the most traction because it's like, okay, you know, we come from California and South Coast Angels has already invested in us or the Caret to Forum uh, has already put some money in. So, you know, when that's the case, I have to say that uh, in, in general terms, angel investors bottleneck is not about money. It's more about time. You know, in general, angel investors do this on the side. So they have many other things to mm -hmm. do. And in general, they don't have time to perform a fully fledged due diligence. So when a deal has been vetted and has been the due diligence has been led by some other person and some other group that has a some kind of credibility, notoriety, things can go really, really fast. And because they can share the due diligence documents, the deal room, and that has been one of the most, um, you know, frequent uh, forms of uh, having companies into the innovation showcase because they were already sponsored or championed by someone. But we still got companies in the innovation showcase who came without a sponsor and said like, hey, you know, we, we want to be able to pitch, uh, but for that, the, there was a fee involved and uh, for all of them. Uh, but, you know, the fee in general was uh, low enough to make it very, very attractive to many of the companies. That's great. That's great. And congrats on the success of those events. Uh, hopefully the coronavirus will be over somewhat soon and we'll be able to do those in person again. But for now, let's move on and talk about portfolio a little bit. So I think. I interviewed two people from Portfolio, actually more than that. <laughs> so I had several people from Portfolio, but I wanted to hear your thoughts on this. Uh, what does Portfolio do? So Portfolio is actually a platform of funds uh, that uh, are trying to not only get a, a great return, we are in the top 25 percentile in terms of returns for our funds, but also they try to activate more investors. We're talking about more women investors and more diverse investors. So the way they do it is by basically doing a learn by investing. So our funds are sort of mixed between what a normal VC fund would do. Uh, that means that you invest the money and you hope for a return. But also it would be a hybrid between also an angel network because our LPs or limited partner investors 
are very engaged in what we do. So we have monthly pitch calls where we have companies pitching to remotely to all of us. And then once they pitch, we have our limited partners um, voting on whether they want to continue with due diligence with those companies that have just pitched. And then when they do, if they want to get involved in due involved in due diligence. So you have have five leads per fund. Uh, that are running the due diligence and the final decision, but you know, you can get LPs as involved as possible because we have a huge network of uh, investors who are very, very knowledgeable in many different areas. So it's always great to have their inputs for due diligence. And many of them get so involved that actually they become leads for subsequent funds, not only for portfolio funds, but in some cases they decide to go ahead after they feel comfortable enough to create their own funds or they to open their new angel networks or or to start you know investing on their own so in our case i think there's this third element of uh, being a movement for women and diverse investors to activate them and to feel that they have a community where they feel empowered because in many cases women and um, minority investors don't invest not because they don't have the money but just because they don't have the network and they don't feel empowered enough they feel that they don't belong so our portfolio groups are a safe place where you know they can feel that uh, they get the tools, but also the empowerment they need to to start investing on their own. That's really nice. That's great and good job there. By the way, I love what portfolio is doing. Um, there, there is a good reason for why I interviewed so many portfolio members. So sure. <laughs> pretty pretty happy where you guys are headed. Um, but let's move on to another. Uh, association that you're working on, which is Business Angel Minority Association. What is that? So the Business Angel Minority Association came a little bit because, you know, of my work at different angel groups around the world. I realized that, you know, uh, activating women into investing was not enough, that we needed to have more diversity into investing. So put together the race, uh, uh, the LGBTQ community, and, uh, you know, we thought that Houston would be the perfect place to start this network because Houston is the most diverse city in the US. And uh, we wanted to really see uh, the diversity in Houston translated to the investor community. And I had been doing a lot of studies about um, bridging the gender gap and realized that, you know, only by incorporating more diverse investors, you can invest in more diverse deals. So. When you have more women investing, they tend to invest in more women-led businesses than men do. The same thing happens for more diverse investors. They tend to look more carefully and more closely at deals that are led by minorities. And that's how we try to bridge the race and the gender gap, you know? And um, so we started BAMA, the Business Angel Minority Association in Houston, but there's already a strong, uh, um, in community in, in Boston that, you know, most probably would be the next chapter uh, in Miami too. You know, there's there's a lot of uh, the Latino community there that's interested in in making, making it happen and, and most probably in Silicon Valley. So at the end of the day, I think we wanna become a sort of a ACA for minorities where, you know, we'll not only be able to provide best practices and education, but at some point we're also trying to put together a fund because one of the things that we've seen happening is that, you know, many of our members are totally new to investing, which was our key objective to bring more uh, newer and more diverse investors. Mm -hmm. and, um, 
when we did, uh, we decided that, you know, they were still a little shy in terms of pulling the trigger in investing, and they would feel more comfortable by investing in a fund that is led by professionals and they can diversify without having to put that much money in. Uh, so now we are considering um, the, the fund for, for Bama. We're working on it and pretty soon we will be announcing it and hopefully getting a lot of new investors in. That's awesome. Congratulations on that. And hopefully that that will be a successful fund. So best of luck to you there. Uh, but uh, let's move on to the question that I ask pretty much any, every investor of mine that's participating on fundraising radio. And it's about the pitch deck. So I bet you see tons and tons of pitch decks. So what do you think are the three must have points on that pitch deck? So the first must have, I mean, should be pretty obvious, but I think that uh, in many cases, you know, I still feel that it's missing there. And I don't know if it's because, you know, with demo days, you have like a sort of cookie cutter of putting together a pitch where you start with the pain and the market, and then you get to the solution that normally is your company and your product. But I feel that in many cases, uh, when you start a pitch, you don't realize till at least like the second or third slide, and that might mean maybe two minutes in what the company really does, you know? You understand the pain, and in, in general, they, they take too much time talking about the pain because in many cases, the pain is pretty obvious. Um, and, and sometimes like, okay, they're talking about the pain, about the potential market, and you still don't know what the company does. It's like, is it a product? Is it a platform? Is it a software? What does the company do, you know? And when you, your mind wanders so for so long, you tend to totally deviate from the whole thing and start, you know, getting into your own thoughts and you lose a pretty big chunk of the audience when you don't tell right off the bat what your company does. And it should be like, you know, we are a software platform, a SaaS B2B service, we are a consumer or we are a product that does that. And then you can get into the pain. But if, you know, I, I still have seen quite a lot of pitches that I don't understand what the company or the product is, which is kind of mm -hmm. right. So I think that would be one of the, of the key elements. Uh, the second element that I think uh, is missing in many, many pitches is actually uh, the business model. Uh, you know, you can talk a lot about um, the product, but then uh, pretty important is how you're going to get money out of it. Is Are you going to produce it? Are you going to sell it directly to the customers? Are you going to license it? Uh, what is your cost structure? What is the customer acquisition cost, cost of goods sold, margins? All these things that are really the nitty gritty of what the investors want to see. Investors want to see numbers and want to see how you're going to make money. And a lot of the founders delve a lot into the science or the you know, the tech involved because they are really in love with it. But for the investor, what really matters once they kind of get to know, okay, the, the, the science makes sense and maybe I can dig further up into that or have someone who's a techie or a scientist help me deal with that situation. But what really matters to them is how you're going to make money out of it, which comes to my third very important part of the page that's in many occasions is also missing, which is the exit strategy. And I know that many investors would tell me, oh, you know, we are so early that we don't know. And, and it's fine when you don't know, but at least you need to try to figure out what the exit is going to be. And that's something that is not very, very, um, you know, uh, in many cases, it's not that easy. Right, right. 
so those are valid points i'm not sure if i completely agree with you on the first one i mean it's a common problem that you just sit on the page that i mean on the page and you're like okay i still do not know what they're doing or they you know took like 10 seconds to explain what their product is and you're like okay i already forgot that can you can you please go back to that issue uh so yeah i totally agree with you on that uh still it's just requires a lot of polishing so take your time to do oh, a good presentation plenty. plenty and you know that's right. one of the points i wanted to make sure we got that this is an iteration so the more you present the more feedback you will get and the more you will get to perfect your pitch absolutely absolutely and it requires tons and tons of time so do not expect to finish it in like a couple of days and not gonna not happen only that this uh the 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 deck is not only for for the investors it's also for you it could right. be like a, a a driving script for your company and you should be able to change it constantly uh, every time you get new feedback or you pivot or you deviate but it's a living document that that should be considered that you know it's not only for fundraising mm -hmm. right right it's like a simple uh, version of the business plan but speaking of pitching uh let's talk about founders who are trying to raise money right now uh, during this pandemic what's your recommendation to them to them so most of my listeners are early stage founders so pre-seed slash seed rounds what's your recommendation to them what do they need to do to raise money right now if they just you know can't wait for more uh time to to see the dust settling so I think, uh, first of all, they, they need to understand that, you know, people are still investing, you know, there's uh, uh, some investors who are saying that they are in crisis mode, trying to figure out what their own portfolio companies are doing and try to make sure that they they help them survive. Uh, but, you know, if, if the deal is good enough and the trend is there, uh, there's going to be enough interest. So, uh, you know, I, I think they, they need to be in the right attitude that Whenever a deal is good and the opportunity is there, there's there's going to be money. So um, a, a pessimistic attitude doesn't doesn't help, uh, you know. So that's one. And then I think you know you have to be very creative because um, there's quite a lot of people who might not have thought about early stage investing, and now they're realizing that the stock exchange is no longer an option, or uh, that they don't want to put money <laughs> into. Uh, real estate and suddenly technology is one thing that, you know, innovation, you know, is, is never, it's not going anywhere. So um, I think a lot of people uh, don't realize that there's a lot of people around them in their own networks that might be accredited investors, but they've never invested before. So if that's the case, you know, this could be someone you can convert into angel investing. And I've seen that happen quite a lot in Houston where, you know, angel investors are not a given like in, in Silicon Valley, you know, uh, there's plenty of people who can invest, but, you know, they won't do it because they, they've never done it before. So they feel like, you know, they don't have a support platform or something, you know. So if that's the case, you know, first of all, you know, try to get them introduced to angel investing and, you know, to the possibility of investing in your company. And if that's not enough, uh, we did it quite a, a lot with the Houston Angel Network and even with the Angel Capital Association, where it's to like refer them to that can help them invest in your company. So like, well, if you don't know how to do, if you don't know how to the terms, if you need a seasoned investor to help you uh, figured out how, you know, this deal should be structured and what are the key questions you would need 
then that's why you have portfolio or you have other um, networks out there to help you figure it out. And, and you know, mm -hmm. this way, not only you get investors that know your company and are passionate about your company because they know you already, but also you get new investors in. Instead of going through like the typical path, I think in, entrepreneurs are about being creative and getting out of the beaten path. And I think that's one of the things that has worked for a lot of uh, Houston companies that, you know, were very creative in terms of looking for their angels. That's true. That's true. I mean, being creative during the fundraising process is extremely important and people do not really think about this process as, you know, something that might be fun and creative. So <laughs> reconsider that, please. Uh, but here we're moving on to the last question of today's episode, which is a call to action. So what's that one thing that you would like the listeners to do as soon as the episode is over? So I think, you know, uh, I've seen a lot of uh, angels that are eager to do mentoring and office hours and that are very involved in the community. So the call to action would be like try to network with them, you know, and uh, establish what could be the beginning of a relationship. And I have to say that many angels and investors are a little tired of the cold pitch where they receive thousands of emails regarding, you know, different businesses and different pitch decks. And uh, I think you need to be creative in terms of connecting with them. So if you dig a little bit about them and something that might be off bio, like for example, what their engagement are, community engagements, nonprofits, hobbies, uh, sports, anything that, you know, might, you might be connected with somehow, you know, because your daughter goes to this school or is trying to get to this uh, university, something that might not be totally business related. That's mm -hmm. totally refreshing, right. refreshing for angels. That's right. And... At, the, at the end of the day, angels, uh, not only because it's a good deal, but because there's chemistry with the entrepreneur, mm -hmm. there's a certain report there's a certain identification they feel identified with them uh and that only can happen through a personal relationship so instead of uh, just um going full force to the pitch you know uh even if you're not fundraising i would say start networking in, in you know there's there's a lot of online events now where there's a lot of investors coming for demo days virtual demo days virtual deal rooms where there's a people there's a lot of people involved um, virtual networking, uh, happy hours, all these places, try to figure out where these, com these people go and, and try to have like a personal relationship first that maybe at some point will help you develop the, the fundraising relationship you need. Exactly. And you have to do it in advance, like, you know, six months before you even start fundraising to make sure that that yeah. actually develops. So great advice. And for me personally, um, I would recommend you checking out our official blog. There is just one article and it's on angel investing from the president of Tech Coast Angels, San Diego. Perfect. So check it out. Um, Definitely. We'll wrap it up here. We'll wrap it up here. Thanks a lot, Juliana, for coming up and for sharing your knowledge about so many different organizations. I think that was a really big episode with in a lot in this one. So thank you for that and have a great day. Have a great day. Thank you for having me.